Welcome to Passion Life Church. Good morning, Passion Life Church. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And we begin a brand new series that we've entitled When You Pray. And, and really this series is taken from Jesus' words because Jesus said that a couple times. He said, when you pray. And I just thought it would be good since prayer should be a part of our lives that we should look at how Jesus prayed. How many of you think that Jesus had his prayers answered? Let me see your hand. Uh, I, I think he, got, he had his prayers answered. He knew how to pray. And the disciples saw that. They saw that Jesus knew how to pray and they're like teach us how to pray and so I think if we could understand how Jesus wants us to pray that maybe we would pray uh, more often and uh, I just believe this next series is going to take our church and your life to the next level you know um, and let me just take this opportunity as we start the series to say I just want to encourage our church to make a rededication to prayer to re, let, let me just tell you, in your own personal life, I truly believe our nation needs prayer. Come on, somebody. I, our nation needs prayer. Listen, we can complain, and usually that's what happens. We complain about what we're not praying about. And usually when there's a lot of complaining going on, I, I ask people, are you praying? Are you praying for the nation? Well, the president this, the president. Hey, do you pray for the president, or do you just complain about the president? Because my Bible says I'm supposed to pray for leadership. And so I'm supposed to pray, even whether I agree or don't agree, has nothing, I'm supposed to pray for the leadership of our nation. What about praying for our city, Marietta and, and Menifee and Lake Elsinore, just making a rededication to pray for our city and our state. And how about this? How about praying for our church? Praying for our church. I don't know if you know this, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but there's a lot going on in the heavenlies, and we need to pray. And, you know, I just want to encourage you. We do have pre-service prayer. It happens at 930, and uh, Vicki and George Rubiano are heading that up right here back in the hallway. And we just need to start praying and believing that God's going to do some things in our lives. Let's look at our theme scripture, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says this, it says, therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Can we say this all together? Come on, read it with me. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's what Jesus said. When we pray today, what I want to do in this series is I want to start talking about the position of prayer. And I'm not talking about whether you pray laying down or whether you pray on your knees. I'm not talking about that position. I'm talking about a spiritual position in and how we stand with God. Do you know that I think even in our personal lives as we go to the store, you know, we go out, it's really important that we watch, and I think we kind of do this, we, we look at where we're standing. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and maybe you shop at Winco or maybe you shop at Target, maybe you go to Average Target or maybe you go to Super Target, come on somebody. 
right? There's the, we always say, are we going to average target today on California Oaks? Or are we going to super target over there off the 215? But whenever you head to the grocery, have you ever been standing in the grocery line and you're just standing there and all of a sudden the cashier will signal you and just say, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, this lane's closed. See the light? Light's off. You're not, not and you're like, well, I, I, I th- thought the light was on and I'm standing here and to get frustrated that you are standing in the wrong line. You know, we were in El Paso a month ago or so just celebrating our previous church's 40th anniversary and there was a night that we went to this festival. It was, it was, it was really awesome. It was like a bazaar. Thousands of people were there and this bazaar is known for their gorditas. I mean, they make, they have stands that made homemade gorditas. I know some of you are like, come on, Phil, it's only 1040 in the morning and you're already talking about gorditas. My mouth is watering. And uh, so we, we, we went there and I mean, there's thousands of people. And it was so funny because everybody's just standing in different places. And I was just standing where I was standing and someone tapped me on the shoulder and they said, sir, is this the line for the gorditas? And I said, no, I'm just standing here. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a great joke for the night. So for the next hour and a half, I randomly walked up to people standing like by the bathroom. And I said, excuse me, is this the line for the gorditas? And they just looked at me. And then there was this guy and this girl and they were talking. I think he was hitting on her. And I just kind of stood behind him and he looked and I said, is this the line for the gorditas? And he, they said no. And what was funny was some people would actually move out from where they were, were standing because they wanted to make sure that they weren't portrayed as somebody who was standing in line for gorditas. All night, my wife was like, Phil, you need to calm down. And I would, everybody, kids, I would stand behind them and they would turn to me and say, is this the line for the gorditas? How many of you know where you stand is really important? And if I were to ask you today, How's your prayer life? How's how's your prayer life? I believe the answer to that question would have to do with how you see God and your perception of God. Let me say it this way. If I were to ask you, how's your prayer life? Your response to me of whether you pray and how you pray would all come down to how you see or perceive where you stand with God. Now, if you think talking to God is like talking to a police officer, you're probably not going to pray that much. Because in reality, we only talk to a police officer usually when we're in trouble or when we're at Dunkin' Donuts. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? The donut joke with the cops always works, right? When do you talk to a police officer? It's not like you're going to go, hey, I'm going to go down to the police officer, you know, the police station, just hang out, talk to some guys in blue. No, it's usually, right, there's this sense of, ooh, maybe I did something wrong. And the reality of it is, is a lot of people see God that way. He's this big police officer. And you know what? So we don't talk to him that much. And some people would say, you know what, Phil? The response to my prayer life is I'm just busy. You know, I'm just too busy. See, here's the reality of why I don't buy into I'm too busy. I'm a firm believer that we make time for the things that we love. You know, is there ever a time to really sit down and watch two hours of NFL football? No, but you know what? We make time for it because, gee, it's important. Really? Is it? No, but you know what? 
I'm going to sit down and do that today. I'm making time. As a matter of fact, I DVR'd the game. I got everything prepared because I wanted to watch that. So I don't buy into this fact that we're too busy. Before I was married, in our previous church had four Starbucks in it. Four Starbucks. It was a huge mega church, about 20,000 people. Uh, even today, go there, attend on a weekend. And so we had a Starbucks that was on the other side of the church. And when I was the youth pastor there, I would go not to the youth Starbucks. I would walk all the way to the other side just to see Valerie Rodarte, a.k.a. Valerie Valdez now. Thank you, Lord. I would go over there just to say and to hear, hi, And then go home and she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. But you know, I could tell who you love by who you spend time talking to. Because we do that in life. Naturally, we gravitate and love to talk to people that we love. And we begin then that conversation flows. But if I were to say, hey, how's your prayer life? This notion that I'm too busy... I actually think it's much deeper, my church family. See, I believe the reason we don't pray more is because we don't know where we stand with God at times in our lives. I think today, if we can look at how Jesus said to pray, it can really help us to know our position of prayer. Listen, turn over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And what I want to do today is I want to give you what I call five stances of prayer. Five stances of when we pray, looking at Jesus. Now, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. I've done a whole series on this. I'm not going to repeat that whole series, but I just want to look at some of the things that Jesus said, and I think we can really help us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. In this manner, Jesus is talking, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's break this down. Here's what Jesus is saying. When we pray, he wants us to pray this way. Look at the first two words, our father. So here's number one. When we stand praying, we stand as a child of God. Now, when you become a child of God, and this is how you become a child of God, is that you ask Jesus to come inside your heart. You ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you confess him as your Lord and Savior. So you are a child of God. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. Here's the approach. How many of you know how you approach things really matters in life? When I'm walking outside of Albertsons, and all of a sudden, this little high school kid with chocolates comes up behind me and says, is this the line for gorditas? No, he didn't say that. But when he comes up and behind me and I turn around, and goes, would you like to buy some chocolates? That's not the right approach. You scare me out of my mind. Like, let me know you're there. Just hang out, you know, but don't just creep up behind me and Ooh, would you like to buy a chocolate, sir? All right. I just, I freak out. But the approach is important. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you approach prayer, here's how I want you to come to God. I want you to see him as father. He says, I want you to come and as a child, a son or a daughter and say, father, father. Now, here's what we need to understand when it comes to prayer. 
Because I think sometimes we wonder, you know, does God really have my best? Does he really want to give me the best? And I think sometimes that's why we don't pray, because we're a little afraid of what God may say or may not say. Let me just encourage you today. Before you even asked, God sent his son. Before you even knew to pray, before you even knew, before you were even bored, God had already given you the gift, the best gift of Jesus Christ. You didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve his love. And guess what? He gave it anyway to you and I, even before we knew to ask. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. So I'm telling you, yeah, you can give the Lord. One person can give the Lord a good round of applause over there. I'll, I'll pray. I'll celebrate with you over there. Before you even knew to ask, God already gave you his best in Jesus. And we did nothing to deserve that. But you know what? God gave. And why do I say that? Because he has your best interest in mind. But here's, look at what Jesus said. Let's break this down. Jesus said this. When we pray, pray our Father. Now, Jesus is talking and he says, I want you to pray this way. I want it to be our Father. Father. I want it to be a personal relationship with God. In other words, I, when you pray, I want everybody to know I want you to have a personal relationship with God. Listen, not a religious relationship with God, a personal relationship where we say, Our Father. Now, when you look in the Greek text, in the New Testament is written in Greek, the word are signifies the relationship between God the Father. And you. Now, Jesus came so you and I could have a relationship with the Father. Do you know that word, our Father, in the English is a personal pronoun? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, when you pray, pray my Father, in terms of Jesus saying, He's only my Father. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, pray a Father. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, pray their father. Here's what he said. I want you to pray our father. In other words, Jesus is saying, my father and the father that Jesus has is your father. Father that God has, that Jesus has is your father. Jesus was taking his father. He says, here's my father. And he's not just my father. He is our father. Father, in the original Greek text, it actually says this. It reads, pray your father. Jesus was taking his father and says, he's not just my father, he's your father. Can we also notice what Jesus didn't say? Jesus didn't say, come to God in prayer and say, oh, my great judge. He didn't say, pray, oh, my great condemner. Is that what he said? No. He said, pray our father. Our Father. Now, for some of us, that word Father, we have to change our mindset. In 20 something years of ministry, I've talked to so many people who come from broken families, so many guys who have never had a relationship with their dad, didn't know their dad, or that image that they've had of father was broken, and so they don't know how to relate. So they, you have to change your mind and realize that number one, God is the perfect father, he is an unconditional loving father, and that he never leaves you, and that he never forsakes you. He is the greatest father you could ever have. He is our father. 
You know what? In Psalms chapter 27, verse 10, it says this, because there's so many scriptures about God being our father. Although my father and my mother have abandoned me, yet the Lord will take me up, the Amplified says, and adopt me. And so God looks at our relationship. He wants you to look at this relationship as I'm, Father, I'm your son. Father, I am your daughter. You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For you did not give us a spirit of bondage again to fear. See, a lot of people don't understand the fear of God. They think, Oh, I'm just supposed to be afraid. You know, God's going to whack me. In reality, Jesus actually identified what the fear of God should be. He identified the fear of God should be the worship of God. And so you don't have to be in bondage again to fear, but look what he says, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Would you say that with me? Say, Abba, Father. You know, Abba in Aramaic actually means this, Daddy. It means Daddy, Daddy. You know what I love? And Jesus was talking about God, his father. And he was saying this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. He says, if you then, listen to this. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Notice on the screen what word is highlighted. Jesus was saying, how much more? Will your father, your father. Why is this important? Because a lot of people, when they pray, they say, oh, you know what? I I need to pray. I need to pray to God. And it's it's funny because sometimes they'll change their wording when they say God. They go to preacher voice. Oh, we need to, you know what? God loves you. God loves you. Like, wow, that sounds really personal. Thank you. Right? But what does that even mean, right? And sometimes that word, you know, I to pray to God, it makes God sound so distant. Pastor Phil, do you believe he's God? Absolutely, he's God. But what Jesus is saying is that we, if we're going to pray, and when we pray, we need to see him as God the Father, a personal relationship that he wants to have with us. And let me just tell you this. He is not just a father. He is my father. And my church family, today we need to embrace God, God, as our father. Come on, say today. Come on, say it loud. Today, God, you are my father. Let's say it again. God, today, you are my father. But Pastor Phil, you know, my earthly dad, listen, this is beyond your earthly dad. God has not left you fatherless. Thank you, Jesus. And he makes his father our father. That's why we can come boldly to him. You know, my son comes boldly into my room whenever he wants You know, on Saturday is study time. It's time in the word, time in prayer. My son don't care. He walks right in the middle. I'm in the heavenlies studying and praising God. And now his big thing is that he's trying to scare me. So he opens the door and he gets down on his knees and he comes around the bed. And then he's like, dad, like that. (laughs) But you know why he comes boldly? Because he understands where he stands with me. He understands that no matter where or who I'm talking with, he's my son. And see, our first 
place that we stand, Jesus is saying, is we stand as a child of God. That's my approach. Is, that good? is this good this morning? Look at verse 9. It says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So not only do I stand as a child of God, but look at this, number two. So I stand in a position of praise. He says this. He said, our Father, that's personal, hallowed be thy name. So what is he doing? He's lifting up the name of God. Watch this. So Jesus is saying, as I pray, before I petition, before I ask, I should praise. I should praise. Now, we all, all know that there's times in life where there's a prayer, God, help me. We, we have those prayers, right? Lord, right, we have those prayers. Oh, help me, right? Those, we, we understand those prayers. But I'm talking about your day-to-day as you come to God. He says this, look, I want there to be a a stance. I want there to be you to stand in praise. And I was praying through this. I said, God, why is it that you want us to praise you before you, we petition you? And I felt like the Lord says this, because if you don't praise me before you petition, you will only ask according to your problem. But if you will praise and magnify God and praise him, you can petition according to your praise and not according to just your problem. See, what happens is we begin to magnify our problem, so then you know what? We, 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 we just kind of act, and we ask really small. But, but when you begin to magnify God, and you begin to see how big he is, guess what? Your ask gets bigger. I said it, A-S-K. Your ask gets bigger. Why? Because you ask according to how big God is, not just how big the problem is. And so we need to learn how to lift up a praise. We need to learn. We've been talking about our, our, uh, in our intimacy with God life group, not just seeking God's hand, but seeking his face, knowing who he is, knowing his personhood, knowing his character, how he acts, knowing him. God wants us to ask, but Jesus says, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lift up a praise. Even before you petition, lift up a praise. Now, here's what's interesting is that he says, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, I think sometimes when we think of that word father, we may say, well, you know, Pastor Phil, that God has so many names and he does. And they're all awesome. And we could do a series on all of God's names. But you know what? In that word father, when you look at it in the original text, it actually expresses all of God's being, all of his attributes, all of his relations, and all of everything that he is capable of manifesting. When we say that word father, you know what? Everything he is, everything he can do, everything he is, is a part of that name. Think about it for those of us that have kids. When my son is in the living room and I hear that distress call, dad, here comes dad. But you know what? He doesn't get part of dad. He doesn't get a little bit of dad. Guess who shows up in that room? All of dad. Protector, provider, comforter, all in one name. All my son has to do is say dad and he gets all of me. And Jesus was saying, when you say that name, Father, in that is all the attributes of God. See, that's what God is at his very core, Father. I mean, we can emphasize all the other names. Those are great. But at his core, he is Father. Father. 
Are you learning something this morning? Here's Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So I stand as a child of God. Number two, I stand in a position of praise. I'm praising God. But here's number three. I stand in the gap. I stand in the gap. Jesus said, when I am to pray, I'm supposed to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen to these words. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, heaven, we could say this way. God dwells in in the heavens. Now, he dwells in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. That's why we say Jesus is in our hearts. But the Bible tells us that Jesus has risen and he resides at the right hand of the Father. Do you know the Bible says that as Jesus is, as he is at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. Let me say that again. So Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father. But we say he resides in our heart. We say he resides in our heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit resides in our heart. Our Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us that so he is, as he is, so are we in this world. So can I ask you, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Is Jesus sick at the right hand of the Father? No. So as he is, so are we in this world, right? Is Jesus at peace at the right hand of the Father? Yes, and as he is, so are we in this world. God created the heavens and the earth to function together. Right now, heaven is an active place. Right now, there are angels in this room that you can't see. And that's good, because if some of you saw them, you'd poop your pants. Because they're not little babies flying around with uh, bow and arrows, right, hitting people in the booty. They are, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, one angel could kill about 10,000 people. One. In this room, there are heavenly things that are happening. The heaven is active. It is moving. And Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. So it's an active place. There are angels all around us. But here's something else that you need to understand. That things can be transferred from one realm to the next, let me give you, break it down. When you go to a funeral because someone has passed, their spirit goes from what? Earth to heaven. There is a transfer from earth to heaven. You know that the last couple of Sundays, we've seen people receive Jesus every Sunday here at Passion Life Church. New people are coming, people are receiving Jesus. Now watch, what happens? They say a prayer on earth. They say a prayer on earth. When you say that prayer on earth, what happens? It affects your eternal heavenly destiny. So what happens on earth can affect heaven. What we do here can affect the heavenly realm. There are transfers being happening. My church family, when we pray a God faith 
prayer, you can bring heaven into your situation. Come on, somebody. You can pray and bring heaven to earth. Come on, I'm going to get into this this morning. It is us, the children of God, who stand in the gap for our city. We are the ones that stand between heaven and earth in our city. We stand and our prayers can bring heaven to this city. Our prayers can bring heaven to our job if we would pray. And you know what? God's not going to do anything until we pray. That's why Jesus, see, heaven just doesn't come to earth. you got to pray it. That's why Jesus said, I'm supposed to pray heaven to earth. Man, prayer is so powerful because we can bring heaven to, into our family. Into If there's things going on, Jesus said, he said, you know what? Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven heaven. Everything God has for us exists in a realm that we cannot see, but it exists and we can't see it, but through prayer, we bring things that are in the heavens into the earth. And it's not just prayer, my church family. And I say this to help somebody. Do you know that today when we took up the offering, the Bible says that when you and I give a tithe, Look at this scripture. It's so powerful. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, it says this. It says, mortal men receive tithes. Now, who's a mortal man? All over the globe today, pastors are taking up offerings. Why? Because God tells us to. That's the way he supplies for his house. I want you to see this. Because some people, they, they, they argue with this. Well, I don't know if tithing's in the New Testament. Here it is in Hebrews right? And listen to what happens. This is a supernatural exchange, right? It says here, everybody say here, here on earth, mortal men receive tithes. Today we took up an offering, watch, but there, where is there? Heaven. So here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he, who's he? Jesus receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Watch this. That bucket passes by, or when you give, you give to God's house. You give here. But Jesus is standing there, and as you give, he receives it there. Why? How do you get a blessing? What does Malachi say? Malachi says, and we sang it today, today we are under an open heaven. The heaven and the windows are absolutely open. Well, Pastor Phil, there's nothing coming out for me, that heavenly window. That's because you are not doing here you're getting nothing there. So the Bible says that when I do here, it's funny because people are like, you know, well, that, when that bucket thing passes, you know, it's, God, I just don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to know who sees and all that stuff. I just, can I break it to you? Jesus is watching. And he's not watching for the reason you think he's watching. He's watching so he can bless you because he has to keep his word. So when I give here my tithe, watch... He receives it there. And the Bible says that from that window comes blessing so much that you will not be able to contain it. And not only that, that he will watch over that 90%. See, I would rather have 90% blessed than 100% cursed. This is why with this exchange right here with your tithe, it's a supernatural thing. And so many Christians, you see them, they're frustrated in their finances. They're frustrated. Why? Because they never make this transfer. 
And Malachi says that our money is under the curse of the world. And until you give it here and it goes to heaven, it comes back. And you know what? It is blessed. It is blessed. And we can talk about it. We can pray about it. But the reality of it is people struggle when they don't tithe. You know why? Because they never invite heaven into their earth. Pastor Phil, I thought you said God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. You need his blessing on your money. And there's a supernatural transfer. I want to give this last two more illustrations on this. And Do you know that when a person at an end of a service or here, maybe even at your work, prays a sinner's prayer, here, their eternal destiny is changed there. I'm going to go a little bit deeper, and if you can follow me, great, I hope so. That's why in the, Old in the Old Testament, Jacob had a vision of angels going up and down on this ladder that touched here on earth and went all the way to heaven, and the angels were coming up and down. And this is what Jacob said. He said, this is a place, a house of God, listen, a gateway to heaven. In other words, Jacob was speaking prophetically years that in the house of God, this right here is a gateway to heaven. What does that mean? People come to, should be able to come to the house of God and we should be able to lead them to Christ, lead them in the sinner's prayer so they can be born again. Why? So they, what they did here, can affect their life there when they die. Come on, somebody. Look at what Jesus said, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Look at this word. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what I do here, if maybe you're here and you have some friends and you know they need Jesus, man, you have friends and family that you know they need Jesus, here's what you can pray. Because some people are like, I just don't know what to do. There's nothing else I can do. No, here's what you can do. We can pray. Come on, somebody. We can pray for them. And here's what we pray. We pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into their path. And let me tell you how this works. I've seen it work tons of times. And here's how it usually works. A person will come up to me and say, Phil, gave my life to Jesus. And, oh, man, how did that come about? And they will, say, they will say this. It was the most interesting thing. Now, sometimes it takes a little bit. But here's what they'll say. You know, I was at the grocery store and just talking with somebody that I really didn't know. And they told me how much God loves me. And I thought, ah, that, that's pretty cool. And then I was at work like a month later. And as I was at work, I was having a conversation with my boss. And my boss just kind of said the exact same words that that person at the grocery store said. And I'm starting to think that there's something bigger to this. Than, and then you know what? I was at a family function and an uncle that I hadn't seen in like years comes up to me and says, you know what? God loves you. And at that point, I realized God must love me. And so I might as well give my life to Christ. You know how that happened? Somebody prayed that God would send laborers into their path. And even at Winco, Costco, or Sam's, God can send laborers into people's paths. Why? So they can go to heaven when they die. Come on, somebody. But how did it all start? With a prayer. And number three, we stand in the gap and we pray for people. You could be the determining factor whether heaven comes to earth in your family, at your job, and in our community, in our church. Come on, how many of you believe that we just need to pray 
that it be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven right here in our church. Come on, somebody. Heaven in Jesus' name. Here's number four, Matthew chapter four, verse nine. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the needs. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So here's number four. When I stand in prayer, here's my position. I stand forgiven. Everybody say this with me. Say, I'm forgiven. Come on, say it loud. Say, I'm forgiven. Now, here's the thing. When you read this verse, I used to read it this way, right? Because this is not the only verse that has to do with forgiveness, just like with love. You can't just take one verse about love. There's many verses about love in the Bible, and it's the same with forgiveness. So I used to read it this way. Well, you know what? If I don't forgive other people, God's not going to forgive me. So we take that, but listen, that's not the only verses on forgiveness. As a matter of fact, we know that in the New Testament, which we live in, we are in a new covenant. We're not in the old covenant. Listen, why are we forgiven? We are forgiven of our sin. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross, forgave us all of our sin. So you and I, as children of God, are already forgiven. Can I say a good amen? Can I hear a good amen? I used to think, so God is up there with this little bag of forgiveness, and when I forgive, he gives me forgiveness. And when I don't forgive, he withdraws forgiveness. No, what Jesus did on the cross, he did, and we are forgiven. Now listen, follow me here for a minute. Can unforgiveness play a part in your prayer life? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. But here's what we need to understand. So in fact, God's not withholding forgiveness from you or from me. In fact, if you look at the Greek text, here's what it says. We forgive as we are forgiven. That's what it reads. What does that mean? I am to forgive as Christ forgave me. So if I were to put all of your sins up on the screen, they probably wouldn't fit anyway, right? Let's be honest. We put all the sins up on that, and we look at that, and then we hit delete because of what Jesus did on the cross, totally deleted, all of your sins. And then someone cuts you off on the 15, and you're like, and you can stay all day. It'll ruin your whole day. And here's what Jesus is saying. You know how much you've been forgiven? That's how much you need to forgive. And so when I stand before God, I stand as someone who is forgiven. My church family, you are empowered to forgive. You know why? Because you have been forgiven. You are empowered to love like Jesus. You know why? Because you have been loved by Jesus. Come on, somebody. God has given us, and we are supposed to love how we have been loved. We're supposed to forgive how we have been forgiven. So when I stand before God as his child, I stand forgiven. Pastor Phil, I know, I, I understand that, but the thing is, is that I have trouble praying sometimes because I know I'm going to pray, and then when I pray, I do an inventory of my sins for the week, and you know, I, I thought something bad, so I just don't pray. And so I don't know, am I forgiven at that moment? What's going on? Listen, can I just encourage you today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, Christ suffered our sins once 
for all time. Let me say that. Christ suffered our sins once for what? All time. Pastor Phil, you can't tell people that people's future sins are forgiven. Okay. The reason why I tell people that future sins are forgiven is because were you alive when Jesus died? No, you weren't even born. So when he died, all of your sins from when he died would be future sins. And the Bible says in 1 Peter that when he suffered and when he died, our sins were taken care of once and for all. And so today, I stand before God forgiven. So Pastor Phil, what do you do when you mess up? I thank God that I am forgiven. I admit and I say, you know what, God, I'm sorry, but you know what? I am forgiven. Why, what does that do? Now we can stand before him with a righteousness consciousness, not a sin consciousness. I want you to say this with me again. Say, I am. Come on, say it loud. I am forgiven. That's one of the things that holds us back is our sin conscious. Can I just help you? Here's what has helped me. Stop thinking about what you did. Think about what Jesus did for you. I want my son to come to me when he messes up, not run from me. And many times I will tell him, if you would have just came to me in the first place, none of this would have happened because daddy would have helped you in this area because he's my son. And here's the last one for today. Are you glad you came to church today? Here's number five. I stand at peace. So I stand how as a child of God, right? I stand in praise. I stand in the gap, right? That's why prayer is so important. I stand when I come, I'm forgiven so I can pray and talk to God. But here's the last one. When I stand before God, I stand at peace. When you pray, you need to know this. You are at peace with God. You shouldn't be jumping around in your mind about all these where you stand. You are at peace with God. Now, since we're talking about the position of prayer as we close today, I began to think about how the Bible talks about standing. How the Bible, you know the Bible talks about your feet? You know the Bible talks about your shoes? Where you stand and your feet? And, and then I begin to think about in the Old Testament, you know, Moses has this amazing epic moment in his life where he walks out and there's this burning bush and God begins to speak to him. And the first thing that God tells Moses is, Moses, listen, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I thought, wow, man, that's, that's interesting. And so when we look at Moses, though, in the Old Testament, Moses can be a picture of what the law was. And under the law, it was all about your works. Moses, listen to this, had to remove his dirty shoes. That's totally different in the New Testament. If you read the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son wastes everything the father gave him. He comes back and repents and what does you see the father doing? The father says, get shoes and put it on his feet. In the Old Testament, Moses is taking off his shoes. In the New Testament, Jesus is saying the father is putting shoes on our feet, on the prodigal's feet. Why? So we can stand at peace before God. It's pretty interesting. And then I thought, now this really makes sense because I didn't even understand this. Why is Jesus, the son of God, washing people's feet?
fee? Well, because Jesus is a servant, and he's a mighty servant. He is. He's a servant. And I serve you today and our ushers and our team. We all serve. Somebody asked me, why do we serve at church? We serve because our God is a servant. He is the greatest servant. He served humanity's greatest need. He died for our sins. So when you serve, you are taking on the very characteristic of Jesus. That's why I can always watch when people are growing spiritually because they start to serve. They start, and it comes from them. I want to serve. I want to get, you know where that comes from? That's Jesus on the inside of you working because our God is a servant. And when people are like, I don't serve, I don't want to serve. And that's because you need to open up your heart to Jesus. Cause here's what he'll do when he comes inside. He, you start to desire to help other people. That's why when I see people loving on each other, you know what? That's Jesus in action. You know why? That's what Jesus, God is love. And when you start to love, you start to act like him. When you start to give, you start to take on the very characteristics of who he is. When you start to serve, that's our God is a servant. But why would Jesus get down and start to wash the disciples' feet? And then it made sense to me. Jesus cares where you stand. Jesus wanted to make sure that your feet were clean enough to be able to stand before him, the Father. This is why it's so powerful what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus says as we close in John chapter 13, verse 6, when he came to Simon Peter, he's washing his feet, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? That would have been my response. Uh, Jesus, uh, I should be washing your feet. Can I just remind you, this is about two weeks before he's going to the cross. And if it was me and I was Jesus, I'd be like, guys, I'm going to the cross in two weeks. Can you wash my feet? How about a little massage? In two weeks, he's going to the cross. And you know where we find Jesus? On the floor, washing his disciples' feet. And Peter says, Lord, you're washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, listen to these words, what I am doing, you do not understand now. Why do you think Jesus is saying that? He's saying, because what I'm about to do on that cross is going to wash you totally clean. But I'm going to start with your feet. And he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And listen, verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Listen to Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. My church family, you and I, I don't care how many pedicures you get, you cannot clean your feet enough to stand before God. Only Jesus can wash our feet to give us clean feet to be able to stand in a position of peace before God. You can't clean your feet enough. That's why Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet and cleanse you, you have no part of me. Ooh, those are strong words. In other words, if you want to live a self-righteous life of trying to clean your own feet, or there, there's people who are like, my feet ain't dirty. We're all dirty. We all were until Jesus comes. But here is the question that I want to end with today. Will you let Jesus wash your feet? Because even though he died and went to heaven, we serve a God, Jesus who is a feet washer.
In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, it says this, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. The gospel is good news that says we can stand before God at peace. At peace. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.